Hey, Proof listeners, it's Julia Collin-Davison. I'm the host of America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country, the two most watched cooking shows on TV. Now, I've been teaching people how to cook on TV for over 20 years. And one of the big reasons why I love my job is because our content is the best, hands down. Everything we do, recipes, product reviews, taste tests, it's all about rigor. So I feel confident when I show someone how to roast a chicken or bake a pie that they're getting the most thoroughly tested recipe out there. And that just feels good. If you love listening to Proof, please consider supporting our work by subscribing to an ATK digital membership. You'll get access to our archive of great recipes, recommendations on the best kitchen gear for your money, and so much more. We'd love to give you a 14-day test run, so just go to atkpodcast.com and sign up for your free trial. Thanks and happy cooking. Okay, so here is the current situation. This is reporter Ahmed Ali Akbar. He's a James Beard Award-winning food writer who reports on American Muslims. Listeners might recognize his voice from previous episodes of Proof. Oh, and his online moniker is Rad Brown Dads. I have always fasted all 30 days of Ramadan. I'm never like somebody who makes excuses to avoid it or something, but it's something that has increasingly become more and more kind of negative for me in the sense that any good habits I have built up over the year get destroyed by Ramadan. I stop walking as much. I'm eating heavier foods that wreak havoc on my uh, acid reflux riddled body. I stop going to the gym. And then it's like after that for like three, four months, I'm back to zero. Now, I grew up Catholic, and I know even how one day of fasting on Ash Wednesday or Good Friday can throw off your routine. But for Ahmed, there's something else that's made Ramadan even more challenging for him these days. He and his wife welcomed a baby last year. Ahmed is now truly a rad brown dad to his daughter, Aziza. Here's some of my conversation with Ahmed. So, Ahmed, you're a new dad, and you've gone through all the trauma that new dads go through, like sleep deprivation, changing diapers, all that fun stuff. And on top of that, you've got this one month out of the year where you have to adhere to these very strict protocols. If you don't mind me asking, what does that feel like? Um, it feels like a 24-hour battle, which is already... It's like if, the, if being a parent is already a 24-hour battle, uh, doing Ramadan makes it feel like 36 hours. So we're speaking a couple of weeks here before the start of Ramadan, and I want to know, what is your mindset right now? Are you approaching this upcoming Ramadan with, I don't know, apprehension? One of my big issues during Ramadan is like when I walk, I like to have things to do. So I want to like get a coffee or like get a snack. I've been trying to work on my practice of walking aimlessly. So I'm being gentle with myself and saying like, even though I'm like pretty scared, I'm like, I'm going to lose all these habits. I'm like, actually, I'm incrementally making progress. Every year, the intention to do better is there. In Islam, there's this idea that setting a good intention, you get the reward for it, even if you don't accomplish it. I have set a lot of good intentions. I'm not giving up. You know what I mean? I'm not giving up. I'm not going, <laughs> you know, uh, quietly into the night, um, quietly into the iftar. My pal Ahmed Ali Akbar, a new dad. All the diaper changing, the endless crying, the sleepless nights. Oh, and it's Ramadan. Let's throw off his eating schedule on top of that. Will he be cranky dad, super dad, or somewhere in between? 
This week on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, a rad brown dad's incomplete guide to Ramadan. Will he make it? I'm Kevin Pang. Stick around and find out. Hey, Proof listeners, it's Kevin Pang. What's a good way to elevate your desserts when you're baking at home? I'm here with Laman Johnson, a test cook here at America's Test Kitchen, and he's going to let me in on the secret. Hey, Kevin. Choosing the right kind of butter can be a game changer, even when you're making something simple but delicious like our easy blueberry cobbler. You want the end result to be luxurious. So I like using a European-style butter like Plugra because it uses cream from American dairy farms and has the right amount of butter fat. That helps create a smooth and buttery, moist cake crumb. Oh man, I can already imagine what that cobbler's gonna smell like coming out of the oven. Taste the difference with Plugra Premium Butter's 82% butterfat content. Visit Plugra.com for more information. Bismillah rahman rahim Here and now, I make an intention to improve my practice of Ramadan. Ramadan is a month where Muslims fast from food, water, sexual activity, and negative behavior. But really, it's hard to put into words the feelings that come with the month. Community comes together. People are more generous with their time and money. We work on becoming the best spiritual selves we can while abstaining from so much. As a kid, I would feel that mix of excitement and tense anticipation in my gut, the way you do with big holidays. I loved the Night of Power, or Laylatul Qadr, when we'd spend the full night at the mosque. I love the special treats my mosque gave to kids on Eid al-Fitr, a bag of sweet and savory American snacks in a plastic bag. I was a total mosque kid who ran around the prayer area like it was a parkour gym. But Ramadan also felt like a very adult milestone. Fasting all 30 days? It was kind of like getting your driver's license, but for Islam. So like with driving, As a teenager, you do some practice fasting runs and watch your family go through the process as you grow up. In our house, a day of fasting began before the sun came up. So, like as early as 3 a.m., it's considered tradition to wake up for what is called the suhoor meal at this time. In Urdu, my family is from Pakistan, we call it seri. Every culture has different food items, but typically people eat their regular breakfast items for suhoor. My mom, my dad, my two older sisters and I would wake up first slow and grumpy, and eventually delirious and happy. We'd eat a heavy breakfast of paratha and fried omelet with onions, chilies, and mint. And when I say fried omelet, I mean brown and crispy. Gordon Ramsay would be very upset. My dad only drank milky chai, and we all guzzled water. Then we'd make an intention to fast, which my mom taught me. Wabi salmon, ghadin nawaitu, minashahri ramadan. I intend to fast tomorrow for the month of Ramadan. We'd lay out prayer rugs and pray in the living room and then go back to our rooms and sleep before work or school. The rest of the day of fasting, there's no eating or drinking, no, not even water. Usually the afternoon, you're pretty sleepy. And then the second meal of the day, the iftar or fast breaking when the sun goes down. That could be as late as 9 p.m. The iftar meal is broken into three phases, at least for Pakistani Muslims like myself. The breaking of the fast, the iftari, and the actual dinner. You could think of it like a mousse-bouche, 
appetizer, entree. When the sun goes down and it's time for Maghrib prayer, I make an intention in my heart to break my fast. And then I take a bite out of a gooey, caramelly date and sip a glass of water. This is considered a religiously virtuous thing to start with, since it's a tradition or sunnah of the Prophet. Then after that, cultures have their own special dishes for the iftari or appetizer. Even though I'm an experienced reporter on American Muslims, I still learn something new every year. Things like, I don't know, kukupaka, I don't know if you've heard of that. This is Zara Alibai. She's a personal trainer who helps clients with movement plans and has a super helpful online platform at The Fitnessed. Kukupaka, by the way, is an East African dish of coconut sauce and chicken, usually grilled and smoky from charcoal. Zara's family has connections to the Indian subcontinent in East Africa, so the food she was raised with has some overlap with mine. We do like mandazi, we do a lot of like fried foods, you know, to break your fast, and then just your regular, like, you know, your favorite dinner dishes as well. In our house, iftari looks somewhat similar. Fried foods like pakoras and samosas, accompanied by fruit jat, flavored with fresh lemon, peppery spices, and gaseous black salt. Sometimes a glass of ruafza, this ruby-colored rose water sugar syrup mixed with milk. And then there's the main course. We have a lot of like, you know, the traditional, the biryanis, the chicken curries, like all the different types of curries, but then we've got the African influence, which is like a lot of coconut dishes. For my house, this main meal could be a lot of things, but usually it was very heavy on carbs and meat, much like the biryani she mentioned, which I love. And then the hardest part, going to sleep after the meal, knowing that you have to wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. for the suhoor. As I'm getting older, I'm thinking, is this really the best way to take advantage of the two major meals? Do I need to have a second dinner after having an iftar of literally 40 fried pakora slices? Why do I have all this heartburn? The thing that always gets me is that Ramadan is always coming. It's not like Christmas, one day of celebration amongst hundreds of other days. It's like a cycle, always coming and always going for me. It's a bit like entropy. I do every fast I'm obligated to, but unfortunately, I often end the month with a complete loss of any of the good sleep, exercise, and eating habits I built up during the rest of the year. It takes me almost till the next Ramadan to feel good in my body again. As an individual Muslim, I think, well, I can fix that over time. As a new dad, I think this is urgent. I need to fix this so I can pass on good habits and traditions. This year, I've been thinking a lot about how my parents made Ramadan feel special. I think about one of the first times I fasted. I was a teenager, and in Spanish class, there was a fiesta day where someone brought quote-unquote Spanish rice. I took a bite without thinking. Then a second later, I realized there was pork in there. And then I remembered I was fasting. I freaked out. I ran to call my mom, thinking she'd be super angry, and she said something that I'll never forget. In Islam, it's your intention that matters, she said. Your niya. It was an accident, but you meant to fast, right? Right. So there's nothing wrong with that. If you want, your fast still counts. Or you can stop today and try tomorrow. The religion is meant to be easy for you. Your intention was good, and you still get the credit. I decided to keep my fast for the rest of the school day. That's the kind of parent I want to be. The one who imparts wisdom in crisis that sticks with the kid for the rest of their life. Right now, however, I'm with a toddler. What little sleep I could muster in previous Ramadans, I'm not getting it now. And Aziza's no longer just drinking milk. 
She loves rice and salmon and Cheerios. It's her first Ramadan where she'll actually be eating dinner with us. It's important that I see that as an exciting deepening of our relationship, not a burden. It's a moment to set good intentions. So let's go back to that notion of intention that my mom introduced me to. I intend to transform this year's Ramadan into a time of joy, health, and spirituality, so my family may benefit from it. Return to the roots of what Ramadan was intended for. Historically, Ramadan was the month that the Quran was revealed, and was practiced as a fasting tradition by the very earliest Muslim community in Mecca and Medina, nearly 1400 years ago. The prophetic tradition of fasting was heavily influenced by Christian and Jewish practices like Yom Kippur and Lent. And the community was always multi-ethnic. As Islam left the peninsula and spread to Africa, South and East Asia, and beyond, each culture developed their own traditions around Ramadan. In a lot of Muslim-majority countries, the whole society flips itself during Ramadan. Restaurants are closed during the day and are open super late for iftar and suhoor. You could spend the whole night like it's a party, bouncing around people's houses and eating food. That's the part my wife, Salima, really loves. My go-to in Ramadan is just say yes and don't ask questions. You know, if somebody's like, oh, do you want to go to this thing at midnight to go eat breakfast together with 30 people you don't know? Absolutely, yes. Sign me up. I'll be there. Me, on the other hand, I'm more into the quiet study of Ramadan, the deepening of traditions and ties. As a parent, you can kind of see who will spread the joy and who will teach the lessons. Anyhow, in America, things are different. It's more like Muslims have to adapt themselves to society rather than the other way around. American Muslims are a diverse community of converts, immigrants, and their children, multi-generational families meeting up to build new traditions. A lot of that happens at the mosque. In most Muslim countries, the mosque is primarily a place to pray. In America, it also needs to serve as a school, a community meeting spot, making it a place to establish new traditions. Like our mosque in Michigan where I grew up, it had these rotating Saturday iftars, which I loved. Each week, different families from the community would bring the iftar, or the meal you eat to break your fast after sundown. My family, for instance, would serve samosa and biryanis. But I developed a lifelong love for Lebanese kibbe, southern fried catfish, sweet navy bean pie, Somali sambusas, and all the other foods that people brought from their home cultures to the mosque. So this community of American Muslims is a couple of million strong now, and so new traditions have formed. One is the IHOP Suhoor, where young Muslims meet up at the one place that is open late enough and serves food for Suhoor. But again, I'm a dad now, and I'm not sure I can stomach a breakfast of pancakes at 4 a.m. I'm also not convinced that it would fuel me properly throughout the day. So another idea is to simplify with something like a smoothie. That's kind of an American Muslim suhoor tradition at this point. So, my next intention. I intend to introduce more fluids, proteins, nutrients, and fiber into every single meal I eat during Ramadan. Like, I'm now, I'm a smoothie girl. I put stuff in a blender and I drink it because I don't have the energy to chew at 4 a.m. This is Mecca Ali. She and I got to know each other from hosting our respective American Muslim podcasts, See Something, Say Something, and Identity Politics. When I called Mecca, it was in the middle of my first Ramadan as a dad, and she was also experiencing Ramadan as a new parent. Yes, my baby. My son is named Zane. He is six months old, and I never thought I'd be one of these people, but he's absolutely perfect. Despite our joy at being new parents, we were also both struggling. Can you remind me, by the way, what what did you say when I asked you about coming on this 
episode about Ramadan. What was your like first reaction? Do you remember? I was eating <laughs> I was eating cake for breakfast. And like you're like, yeah, let's talk about how Ramadan is going. And I'm like, yeah, I'm literally like eating cake for breakfast under a blanket. Like it's not going great, okay? <laughs> There are, by the way, many valid reasons not to fast in Islam. If you're ill, pregnant, breastfeeding, traveling, for instance, you can delay your fast and make it up another day. We'll get into that a little later. Anyhow, I got the idea of Sahur smoothies from my cousins, who've been doing it for years. It's easy to make at 4am, and you can customize it to all your needs. At this point, I've perfected my smoothie proportions. A cup and a half of whole fat milk, two teaspoons of peanut butter powder, two scoops of protein powder, enough fresh or frozen fruit to add a little sweetness and vitamins, and then any greens I have on hand for fiber. It's like a meal you can drink. It quickly became my breakfast of choice, even outside of Ramadan. Turns out the ingredients digested my body a bit slower, leaving me satisfied for longer, according to Zara Alibai, the personal trainer. You're having a smoothie, like if you're having like a little bit of a protein powder in the smoothie and you're adding in like a handful of spinach, you're adding in like a milk that has the fat, if it's just even a regular milk or a nut milk, and you're adding in like some Greek yogurt, that's going to give you the healthy fats and the protein as well. That's going to just give you that like elongation of energy boost. It's not going to spike up. Since you're only eating twice in a day, it's important to include things that will keep you strong and healthy for the suhoor and iftar meals. Hydration and nutrients are also important at all times of the year, and healthy fats and proteins keep you full throughout the day. Just make sure you're getting in like good quality food. So you're getting in that salad. It's not just heavy fried food. It's not just rices and curries. You're adding in a salad or a soup or a smoothie, something that's giving you those fruits and vegetables, that fiber, those nutrients. I think back to those different meals served at my mosque growing up. I remember being shocked, shocked at how much green fresh vegetables and flavorful fluids were served at iftari when, say, the Lebanese community members would host. Fatouche, tabbouleh, cucumber salad, lentil soup. Of course, there's gibi and falafel, the fried goods. But it's good to balance out with things that will restore what's been lost during that time fasting. Meanwhile, in my family, the fruit and salad was optional, but the fried foods were mandatory. The main idea here is that I always, always have a fresh fruit or vegetable and something hydrating and full of protein at Sahur and Iftar. Like, I still enjoy my omelet and toast in the morning. I think it has all those elements of healthy fats and proteins that keep you satiated. But now, on Zara's advice, I add in more leafy greens. I have a side of some berries. I have a dollop of Greek yogurt. And by the way, I did it all 30 days of Ramadan last year. And so can you. Okay. But here's something that's harder for me. Planning. I intend to get in my rad brown dad zone and finally, meal prep. So remember how I mentioned that there were some valid reasons you can miss fasts, right? Illness or traveling are two of the most common ones. So that first year of being a dad, I missed a lot of fasts. But you have to make them up, no matter if the reason is valid or not. And I usually forget to make them up. I'm like, eh, I'll do it later. There's always time. Now, though, I don't know. I'm like, maybe there isn't time. I should probably start making them up. It's uh, around 5 a.m. And, you know, I woke up past my alarm. I did wake up. Turn that off. I don't actually wake up the baby. 
I've talked a lot about myself and all my issues. I have a lot of them. I have no self-control. I kind of make things more difficult than I need to, making a fresh meal every day rather than prepping or eating leftovers. But the thing is, I have to be better for the baby. I have to plan for a time when she grows up. Zara, the personal trainer, has a bunch of experience with this too, from the parenting side. She's successfully raising two fasting kids. Surprisingly, they're troopers. Like, there's definitely days that are harder than others, but um, I think for them, when they were younger, they wanted to be a part of it because, you know, they wanted to eat when we ate, and it was like the idea of going to the masjid and eating together and waking up for daku and having your favorite foods. Definitely got grumpy kids by the end of the month, but uh, so far, they've been really good. So I asked her for advice on how she makes it work with kids, how she makes it magical and easier. We talked about like prep. I'll always have something like chia seed pudding or overnight oats, something that I literally have ready in a container that I can eat half asleep or for the kids, I can just give it to them if they don't want to get up and get out of bed. I'm not a big fan of overnight oats, but pudding in the morning? That sounds heavenly. So the night before my makeup fast, I food prepped for the first time. I don't think I've ever prepped for Sahur before. Okay, so I am going to do chia seeds and milk in a, I'm gonna do in a, in a visible mug so it looks cute. Um, let's do chia seeds here. <laughs> no, you didn't hear that. I'm honestly just gonna eyeball this because I think if I were to make this in the future, I would want to just eyeball it, right? Like, you know, chia seeds are like a protein, right, I guess, and probably have some fiber and fat in there too. The next morning, it feels incredible to just have something in the fridge I can pull out and eat. My wife never really eats sahur, she just wants a glass of water and back to bed. So blurry-eyed and groggy, I take the chia pudding out of the fridge, add some fresh fruit and peanut butter. Okay, here's my bite in my review. I could already tell that I probably wish I had put some salt on this. It's actually super delicious with the peanut butter batter in there. Damn, what the heck? This is awesome. Didn't require that much work. So yeah, big success. With milk, fruit, chia seeds, and peanut butter, we got all the things I intended. Hydration, fat, protein, carbs, and even some nutrients. And it was all pre-planned and pre-made. So yes, I'm a chia pudding and smoothie girl. The rest of the day was a pretty classic fast. I got up feeling pretty normal, a little parched in the throat, which I couldn't chase with some water. So I got out my computer, did as many emails as possible until my intention span gave out. I have to say, I felt pretty satisfied until much later than I expected, but eventually I needed to take a little afternoon nap. Two hours before iftar time, I build up the energy and start on iftar prep. That's my next intention. I intend to simplify my iftar. It used to be, when I broke my fast, the date would go in my mouth, and then seconds after, massive amounts of fried food, my body would like go into shock from no foods to fully coated foods and oil. So I got this idea from my friend who's a doctor. He ends his fast with two dates and drinks two glasses of water. And then he just goes to pray. The date is a long-standing Muslim tradition, and it's still effective for a variety of reasons. Your body's glucose stores are depleted, and it's a great source to replenish. It's also a moderate source of other nutrients you need, like potassium and fiber. 
He waits about 15 minutes before eating anything else, so his body, which has been hard up on fluid, sugar, and fiber, can start its motors going again. You get to think, how hungry was I really? Um, okay, it's time to break the fast. I'm gonna grab my date here. Gonna do what I learned from my friend. Have two dates, start with two dates. I'm gonna make my intention here. Allahumma lakasumtu wabika amantu wa riskika aftartu. All right, here's my water. It's about what your body can absorb. Aziza again looking at me with a lot of curiosity. Now I'm gonna wait 15 minutes and come back. Uh, go pray. Yes, I'm a modern Muslim dad and a chia pudding and smoothie girl, but I don't want to lose the traditions I grew up with. That night, I picked a classic Pakistani iftar dish that I've never made, one that's hydrating, full of good protein, fats, and fiber. Thankfully, I could prep this recipe the night before. I use urtal, the white dal, one mug, and chana dal, a fistful or a handful. That's my mother-in-law sharing her recipe for dehibare in a WhatsApp voice note. Dehibare are kind of an acquired taste to me. When you look at it, it looks just like a giant container of yogurt with lumps in it, crisscrossed with tamarind and mint chutneys. But I came to really be obsessed with my mother-in-law's recipe, and it suits my newly fibrous, hydrated future. Dehibare's has lightly fried lentils and a lot of yogurt, which will fill me up with fluids and healthy fats. So she WhatsApped me the recipe so I could make it for the first time soaking the lentils the night before. And then make one cup out of it, or one mug out of it. Okay, one mug or one cup, that's a very scientific thing. A teaspoon of salt, teaspoon of cumin seeds, two green chilies, ginger garlic paste, half onion sliced, one teaspoon baking powder, and then she just grinds it. So I let the rinsed lentils soak with all that goodness overnight in a covered pan. It's going to become blended into a little patty that will be lightly pan-fried tomorrow evening and then dipped into a sweet and sour, refreshing and herby yogurt base. It smells so good. Why does it smell so good? It's just cumin, onion, green peppers. It's like, I've, I've had this specific dal a lot and it has this aroma. I think it's actually the aroma of the lentils. It's not the aroma of all the other stuff. Because I cook with all that other stuff all the time, it doesn't smell like that. After the white lentils and aromatics are soaked, you blend them into kind of a fritter batter. Chunky. I think it's actually pretty good. I don't know if I would add that much water to this, but... Wow, it smells so good. And it's vegan. And after that, you shallow fry the batter in oil. I think I'm gonna feed it to the baby because it seems like it's a good thing to eat. Let's do a test, test one right now. There's too much water in the pan because I was in a rush. Woo, it's popping. That's popping. So once the fritters turn golden brown, you soak it in water to cool it. Once they're all fried and dried off on a paper towel, you start preparing the yogurt that the baras will be put into. Okay, now I'm beating my yogurt here. I'm gonna put some yogurt in a bowl, thin it out some water, beat it by hand until it's thin. I have my baras, which are the lentil patties, um, soaked and cooled down. Um, I'm going to flavor the yogurt with um, cumin and red pepper and salt and sugar and chaat masala. And then I'm gonna probably chill it for a little bit. And then when it's time to break fast, I'm gonna eat it. 
in my practice of Ramadan, you aren't really supposed to taste the food when you're fasting, if you're cooking. So I just season the yogurt by eye and hope for the best. It was a little tangier and less sugary than how my family makes it. But actually, it was how I would want it. Nice and easy on this aging stomach. Yeah, it's perfect. The texture of the bari is good. It's nice and soft. You know, you get a little bit of crunch from the cumin seeds. Wow, genuinely, I'm very impressed. This is so good. So good. Guys, I did it. We didn't give my daughter Aziza the messy, spicy, yogurt and chutney drenched version because she's pretty picky. But I'm happy to report she loved the dried little lentil patties. After that, I went out to see friends and an hour later picked up a sandwich. It was a great model for my future fasts. I distributed the work and the food evenly throughout the day with lots of nutrition and fiber. I didn't feel heavy, I felt light. During all this prep for Sahur and Iftar, I hate to say it, but the organized people, they might have a point. After the break, Ahmed searches for a way to pass down traditions. Legendary French chef Auguste Escoffier knew that to be a good cook, you had to master the basics. His great-grandson Michelle told us how actress Sarah Bernhardt credited the chef's scrambled eggs for her longevity. She apparently replied laughing, oh, maybe the fact that every morning at breakfast I have a glass of champagne with Mr. Escoffier's scrambled eggs. The Auguste Escoffier School of Culinary Arts helps aspiring chefs perfect their scrambled eggs and so much more. Head to escoffier.edu to learn more. That's E-S-C-O-F-F-I-E-R dot E-D-U. And now, back to our story and Ahmed's next intention. I intend to set a good example for my child by making Ramadan a time of wonder and joy with new traditions. I have no associations or traditions uh, relating to Ramadan, relating to Eid at all. There's no, like, food that comes to mind. There's no, you know, little family things or anything like that. This is Brittany Riley. I found her through a call I made for people experiencing Ramadan as a parent for the first time. When I talked to her last year, it was actually during her third ever Ramadan. Unlike me and my friend Mecca, Brittany was not raised Muslim. I have a nine-month-old little guy named Idris who was an Eid baby. You might hear him a lot. I converted to Islam about four years ago. I've been married for a little under two years. Brittany coming to Ramadan with a fresh slate makes me think of Makkah's, Brittany's, and my kids, Aziza, Zayn, and Idris. They all have no traditions of their own yet. As parents, it's our job to help establish those and make them useful for the kids. On one hand, there are the food traditions of our families— Brittany became Muslim in large part supported by a diverse community of women at her mosque. She got to see that beauty of people sharing food generously. Eventually, she married a Pakistani man. Good choice, by the way. And of course, he had his own traditions that were important to him. About his Pakistani food. So it's been a nice challenge, too. I've learned that I cook better when I'm fasting. So that's been fun. But it's also been a little different when I did it alone. You know, you can kind of eat the same thing for three days and it's not that big of a deal. But when someone else is involved, it is definitely like, okay, let's cook every single day. So the 
work that goes into it has definitely been different. Did I hear you say you cook better when you're fasting? Yes. I have a fasting brain right now. It's like 4 p.m. right now. So like it takes it's taking me a second also to process. You're saying, how is that possible? Well, how, how do you cook better when you're fasting? Because I don't think for me that's the case. By the way, I have audio evidence that I am a worse cook while fasting. Okay, my Goodbye. And all that yogurt spilled. This is why I should not be allowed in the kitchen when I'm fasting. But for Brittany... Oh, well, you know, you're you're kind of looking forward to it and you're thinking about it all day. So you're like, hmm, let me start a little early and let me actually grind these spices. Or, hmm, this will be good in here. <laughs> you know, so you're thinking about it that way. Brittany, using her magical powers while she is hungry, takes this time of the year to learn some new dishes. I'm still not amazing at cooking Pakistani dishes, but I was watching, like, YouTube videos in Urdu um, because there wasn't any more I could find and trying to figure out how to make, you know, like, yakni pulao and biryani. But she's also trying to introduce new traditions, too. And I'm still not 100%. Like, I'm slowly trying to introduce hamburger night, you know, as, like, a thing. Brittany's energy was exactly what I needed. By not initially having any of her own Ramadan-related rituals, she thought about things that she could bring from other parts of her life. One thing that we did in my family every year around Christmas, there was a it was the first Saturday of December, it still happens, was what we call cookie day. And we would literally make, I'm not even kidding, 400 cookies um, of all different kinds. We would come together, everybody would bring flour and eggs and sugar, and everybody had their recipes that they make, and... Um, you know, this year we went and we did that with my family. And I think we will continue to do it. It's not a religious thing. It's something they just happen to do in December. Brittany's come to the religion in large part through community. Women who helped her adjust and became her support system during that transition. And that community of women still supports her in her time postpartum. So we've talked about coming together on days when we can't fast and doing cookies with the kids and creating those and then being able to give those out to people. Um, I think that would be a wonderful thing. I never was big into decorating, but cookie day? I could get behind that new tradition. Talking to Brittany, I realized I had my own little personal ritual too during Ramadan. The ice cream run. In the 90s, my parents owned a Dairy Queen. And I wasn't fasting yet, I was too young. But I was tagging along with my parents to the mosque every single night for Taravi, which is this practice of reading long sections of the Quran in congregation throughout Ramadan. I would read like... 30 minutes worth of prayer, maybe more, and then play X-Men with my best friend Samir. And afterwards, Samir and I would get to go to the Dairy Queen. I'd get a swirly soft serve and a cake cone, delightfully cold, even though it was a blustery Michigan winter outside. The Dairy Queen shut down, but the ice cream run survived. A Ramadan night just doesn't feel right to me without ice cream. So I'll maintain some of those personal rituals. When Aziza's big enough, We'll go out for ice cream after a big night at the mosque. But food is only one part of the whole thing. The other thing missing from my current practice is a community to call home. We went every single night of Ramadan to the mosque as a kid. Now, I go for Friday prayers and then maybe a handful of nights here or there. I just moved from New York City to Chicago, so it's another good time for a reset. I set out looking for a new place. Saw you here, so I saw you. Like Amit. Why don't we start by you introducing yourself? Okay, I'm Dr. Will Caldwell. I am the director of education here at the Tatleaf Collective. I met Dr. Will early in my time in Chicago. He led the Eid prayers in 2022. And on this particular Friday, I was at his home institution, praying Friday prayers, Jummah. 
Can you describe the space we're in? Like, what is the space? Yeah, so the space, uh, we're a Muslim community. Uh, we are not a mosque, uh, so we're not open for the five daily prayers. But we hold a number of classes and like community uh, like social events throughout the week. Uh, we're really geared towards people who are brand new to Islam, uh, and just making sure that they have the opportunities to learn about the religion and have open spaces to ask any questions uh, that they may have. I asked Dr. Will what Dalif meant in Arabic. It's, it's bringing together uh, two things that maybe may have been at odds or may have just been separated right. before. Which is sort of how I'm feeling about my relationship to Ramadan. In Islam, ritual can sometimes precede belief. The act of doing something is the beginning of the process of internal change. And so, perhaps by intending to attend Ta'alif more often, I can reconcile two things that are at odds. Me and Ramadan. So, that's my new intention. I intend to become a mosque kid again and bring Aziza along with me. Or at least a Ta'alif kid who goes at least twice a week. As I mentioned before, there's this practice that used to be really key to my Ramadan experience, the Taravi. In our community, we would read long portions of the Qur'an for about an hour or two until we finished the entirety of the Qur'an within the 30 days of Ramadan. On Saturdays, the mosque would host those meals I mentioned earlier. We'd line the prayer areas with plastic and eat on the floor together, hoping the kids running down the alleys wouldn't barrel into us and send our plates flying. When the Qur'an was finished, it was my job as a young teenager to pass out Middle Eastern sweets like baklava from Shatila Bakery in Dearborn, or desi matai like barfi from Tahura Sweets in Chicago, to every single person attending. As a 30-something, I haven't done any of this consistently for about 10 years. I don't think it's realistic to go to the mosque every day, but maybe I can join these community iftars once a week in addition to my Friday prayers. I asked Dr. Will if they host community iftars, and thankfully they do. We have an iftar, which is a meal where we break our fast together at sundown. Uh, we do that twice a week. We usually have around 100 people here and a whole lot of food, drinks, desserts. Anyone can come out and join us for that meal. Last Friday, I took Aziza to Talif Collective and chased her through the prayer aisles. I said salams to Dr. Will and thought, yeah, this can work. I may not go every single day of Ramadan, but I hope the times I do are filled with joy with her as they were for me. Last intention here. I intend to walk like my dad with my hands behind my back. Let me explain. Here's the final and actual biggest problem I have with Ramadan. Food, family, fitness. Yeah, I like two of those things. I'm very good at two of those things, food and family, but fitness, not so much. Well, you got to do fitness so that you can elongate that enjoyment with your family, right? And enjoy the food. The biggest problem is that Ramadan absolutely ruins my physical health. Fitness in general is really hard for me. My best week of exercise is maybe three days of going to the gym. So like six months before Ramadan, I usually do have a gym habit, but then Ramadan comes around and completely destroys it. I talked to Zara about it. But what would happen on most Ramadans is I'd, Ramadan would start, I'd say like, I'm gonna lower my activity level and I'll do walks. And then I would get so tired and exhausted from every day that I would lose any physical activity. It's so hard, yeah. It would be like six months after that I'd start. And then by that time, we're already four months towards Ramadan. So, yeah. so it's like, <laughs> You're like, what's the point? <laughs> I think what I need to ask from you is, how can I plan better to not lose steam? Uh, 
and I have to tell you something else that's bad is I'm terrible at planning. I'm not a good planner. You give me an exercise plan, I'm going to fail. No, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> I think if you keep it simple, you are so much more likely to stick to it as opposed to just like being like, there's, you know, start two days strong and then being like, this is way too much for me to handle. Zara suggested walking, even for 20 to 30 minutes a day. But walking is also hard for me. To be honest, so my favorite thing, I walk, I'll listen to audiobooks, I'll listen to podcasts, like it's my favorite thing. I'll catch up with a friend, we'll set a walking date. So, but I promise you, if it's just, and you tell yourself, I'm just going to get out for 10 minutes. You'll get out for 10 minutes, you'll be like, I can do 10 more. 20 to 30 minutes is all you need. And you can break that up into two 15-minute bouts. That hasn't been my experience either. When my wife and I walk together during Ramadan, I'm always like, yeah, I'm done after about 10 minutes in. So I thought, and I thought, I'm not getting much walking down outdoors. And then, Eureka. I remember what my father did after we broke the fast. I'm going to rely on the wisdom of my elders here and maybe suggest something for myself that might work for me that maybe is not as ambitious, but it's what my father does, which is when he comes home from the mosque during Ramadan, I always kind of make fun of him. Like, can't you sit down? He just walks in the house. Oh, do that. I love that. He just walks in the house for like half an hour. He just walks back and forth and he's doing it to get movement in. A light just went off my head. I said, uh... That's what Abu does, and I always made fun of him. Yeah, I mean, all I can say is that it's interesting. My dad, Dr. Wahid Akbar. Longtime Proof listeners will remember him from my episode, Feeders, Eaters, and Anither. He was visiting me in Chicago, and I pulled out my phone to record him. Apologies for the recording quality. All I can say again is, Alhamdulillah, thank God that I somehow learned these things intuitively. You know, I walked for years indoors, and people have laughed at me. And now everybody is coming out and saying, doesn't matter, even if you walk indoors, walk. And surprisingly, a lot of his advice was just like Zara's. One is that do not worry about space. We all get carried away. This is too small. It's not going to work. Second thing is wear proper shoes, even as if you are walking outside. Even they're clogged, but wear some shoes. Oh, you wear shoes when you walk inside? I try my best Interesting. to wear something. Okay. So it, and the third thing is listen to things you otherwise wouldn't have time to listen on, on your phone, or it could be a blog, it could be some messages which have your, your friends have sent to you on uh, WhatsApp, whatever. So, uh, including songs, and listen to some music, whatever you do, just to keep your mind off of. And I would say so during my makeup fast, I put my hands behind my back and tried to emulate my father, confusing the heck out of everyone at home. Everyone in the house is dead silent. Like, what the f*** is going on? Just dictating to myself. Aziza, do you have any thoughts on Abu's new exercise regimen during Ramadan? <laughs> She's too busy reaching for the microphone. Aziza, can you say Abba? <laughs> she wants the microphone too much. I'm leaving. Goodbye, Aziza. Goodbye, I'm going on my walk. And then I'm coming back. Hi, Ziza! Bye! And I got 15 minutes of walking in, right at the buzzer, before my fast broke. And that's it, my last intention. I intend to walk 15 minutes every day with my hands behind my back, like an immigrant uncle. That's what I really got from this, that the uncles and aunties had it right all along. They made a difficult thing seem easy, 
and fun. Now, let's recap the Rad Brown Dad's Guide to Ramadan. First, I intend to transform this year's Ramadan into a time of joy, health, and spirituality, so my family may benefit from it. Kind of a work in progress, but I will say that my wife, Salima, is pretty impressed by the work I've done and is inspired by it. So maybe we're making some progress. Second, I intend to introduce more fluids, protein, nutrients, and fiber into every single meal I eat during Ramadan. I, for instance, today have a pretty heavy meat and potatoes meal for dinner today for my iftar, and I am going to add some salad to it. Number three, I intend to get in my rad brown dad zone and meal prep. That one I haven't done so well. Number four, I intend to simplify my iftar. We'll eat two dates and take a break and see how we're feeling. Number five, I intend to set a good example for Aziza by making Ramadan a time of wonder and joy with new traditions. Number six, I intend to become a mosque kid again and bring Aziza along with me, or at least a Talif kid who goes at least twice a week. And finally, I intend to walk like my dad with my hands behind my back. I have to do that right now before my fast ends. So right after I get done with this, I'm going to go for a 15-minute walk inside. My belief is that since I started these niyas, these intentions, I'm seeing a change that is years in the making. Some, like I said, I've seen instant results from, and some intentions, well, they're still on their way to becoming fully realized actions and habits one day. In a way, it's almost like parenting. You go in with the best intentions, and hopefully all those failures lead to growth and change. And hey, Aziza is definitely going to be as confused about me as I was about my dad pacing with his hands behind his back. And that's okay. That's parenthood. The cycle continues. For now, I'm going to work on perfecting my Dehi Barais. Thanks to Ahmed Ali Akbar for bringing us today's story. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer, Caitlin Kelleher. I'm supervising producer, Caroline Rickert. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Alex Curran Cardarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio with sound design supervision by Matt Boynton. Scoring, mixing, and sound design by Anya Gzeshik. And additional engineering by Justin Garish. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds Composer Theme Music. Additional music by Kyle Forster and Jordan Pearson. Jen Margolis. Is our director of post-production. And our director of production is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by Angela Yang. Special thanks to Manny Carrillo for recording support during Ahmed's Fast. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer, and Dan Surratt is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, Eglin's Best, Plugra Premium Butter, and the Augusta Scoffier School of Culinary Arts. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.